Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of Podcana. We are back with a new face in the form of Kawatech. Kawatech is a good friend of mine, a grassroots tournament organizer from Marvel Snap, but also big physical card game enthusiast and Larkana addict at this point. It's going to be hopping on as the co-host of Podcana moving forward. An absolute just wealth of knowledge in terms of card games, tournaments, um, etc. Kawa actually came back from Gamescom recently over in Cologne, uh, playing a bunch of Lorcana and has, I mean, let's, Kava, first of all, I want to welcome you onto the podcast. <laughs> um, appreciate you coming on and just excited to continue this venture with you. But I want you to sort of set the stage for the rest of us and a lot of people listening and myself that weren't able to experience the magical weekend of Lorcana that you had at Gamescon. Well, cause this, I mean, this is foundation, right? This, this is, this is sort of grassroots. This is, this is level one, you know, you were in at the beginning so the excitement must have been off the chart i know you got to meet some of the developers you got to play a lot of the game just sort of break down the weekend for us overall yeah it was kind of crazy so the first day i got there um i mainly went for marvel snap but the first day i got there i was like i saw that ravensburger had a booth so i was like i have to go check out lorcana 100 and i headed over at the end of the day and by the end of the day, they were still doing, you know, like take a picture with with the card, you get your promo card, that type of stuff. And uh, it was it was like busy the first day, but on it was like on a Wednesday, there wasn't too many people there, right? For these types of like big gaming conventions, there'll be more people there on like the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So there was a bit of excitement. Um, we actually I tried to buy a box day one. They, I mean, they sold out. Yeah. It's it's funny. I'm pretty sure they were like keeping boxes per day, and then they would just say, okay, we're out for the day, but then like restock the next day. Um, so then I went on Thursday. I, I bought a box, my girlfriend bought a box. Went back on Friday. <laughs> I bought a box, my girlfriend bought a box. So like it was it was it was kind of crazy, but the hype was insane. Like by by the Friday, uh, the queue to even just get the promo card and the queue to actually sit down and play the game. So you get a promo card by either taking a picture with the with like Mickey Mouse or something like that. And then you'd also get a promo card if you either bought something or if you sat down and played a game. And when you sat down to play a game, it was basically just like one of the staff showing you how to play the game for a lot of new players of Lord Canada. So the atmosphere was like really, really cool. I even got to interact with some people that were there to obviously uh, get the promo card or people that were both experienced players and inexperienced players. Um, but yeah, man, like when, when, when you're walking by and it's like a three hour queue to get like a picture to get a promo card, like it's, it's kind of insane. When, and when I sat down to play the game, like I said, I was mm -hmm. actually sitting beside one of the developers. One of the most fun things for me as a, um, as an avid card game player is discussing interactions and seeing how this works and that works. And I was even like stumping some of the staff saying, okay, how, how does this actually work? Like in terms of order, does this happen first? And the main developer was like sitting beside me. He was like, no, no, that, that happens first. Like that, that got me really excited. You know what I mean? To kind of like, um experience uh those type of unique interactions for the first time in a brand new card game yeah so i just want to I, I was this weekend i wasn't in cologne i wasn't at gamescom but i was at flesh and blood u.s nationals in las vegas and i was able to speak to a lot of the uh the people at boost there um the people that would be running perspective sort of grassroots tournaments for lorcana they run tournaments for flesh and blood they run their own circuits sort of in the similar vein of uh seg if you're familiar with them from magic um and i was speaking to them and they were very hot on Lorcana. So the thing about Flesh and Blood is it's it's quite different from Lorcana. And the, the entire pitch of the game is almost as polar opposite as it gets, right? It's like this super low variance, kind of like chess esque sort of card game um which ha appeals to a very certain type of player right it's a it, one of the biggest issues we have with that game right now is like it's not casual friendly and there's not a casual format and I remember when Lorcana sort of first came out and the rules first came out, people were like, oh, the design looks very simple, right? And it's maybe not going to offer the depth of Flesh and Blood, et cetera, et cetera. But now that I've talk been talking to people that have been playing on it, uh, been playing the game, they keep telling me like, no, this is exactly what we're looking for. This is, the, this is the card game that you can sort of pick up and play. You can actually play it on the kitchen table. I know Flesh and Blood like pushes the agenda that it's going to be a kitchen table game, but it's not. Um, but they're just having fun with it. And the the, sort of the design is solid, right? It it works very well. The art is obviously beautiful, and the flavor feels feels sort of spot on. But a lot of the people I was talking to, yeah, the boost they're they're super excited for Lorcana. Seems everybody is hyped for Lorcana uh, at this moment. I will say, in terms of grassroots tournament, which I think is sort of the 
that is absolutely what this game needs in the first year because they said first i feel like they first off said no organized play and they're like okay no no no, it's actually just going to be in a year they sort of had to walk it back maybe a bit of a misinterpretation with an interview but what they need in order to let that scene sort of flourish uh is actually just comprehensive rules. So like you were talking mm-hmm. about is how exactly does this work? Comprehensive rules. So you can reference that um, in a tournament and a judge program, or at least a very like the semblance of a judge program. So you can have people that are recognized authorities in this game and can sort of arbitrate over scenarios in tournaments, right? Because um, that's sort of like, that's actually all you need in terms of framework and people can just can just absolutely run with it in the tournament scene, can't take off. Because although, although Lorcana might not be pitched as a competitive game, it doesn't need to be right. The core design mm-hmm. does not to be need to be competitive focus. They don't need to push the competitive agenda. It's just people that love the game, just taking it to a level where they can sort of, you know, I don't know, play against other players that want to play as much of them or at a certain, you know, competition as them, etc. And it, pretty much any game can can reach that, right? It doesn't really matter the design. Because you think about something like checkers, like that's a simple game. Even chess, mm-hmm. like the rules are simple. Obviously, the game is extremely complex. And I think Lorcan is the same thing. While the design framework is simple in nature, you know, it has sort of that room to be to be competitive. For sure, yeah. Uh, I completely agree with 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 everything you said there, and it's just super exciting to see. Um, well, obviously now, just talking about the organized play. Uh, obviously, they they have announced that they're doing like a twelve week thing for set one, which uh, a lot of the kind of local card game stores are already doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't participated in any myself yet. I'm going to be doing my first one next weekend, so I'm super excited for that. And it's basically like you know it, the, the standard type of thing, right? If you win it, here's like two boosters and a promo mm-hmm. card or whatever. Um, but it's still good that they're opting to kind of do that. Um, I know they're going to continue doing that with set two, which launches around, uh, I think around November 17th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I've been having an absolute blast with it. Um, we can jump in to talk about uh, starter decks now, if you want, just for like new players and my experience jumping into the game as well. Well, I want to um, hit you with some some sort of OG Podcana lore, or at least history. Oh, tell me, tell me. No, let's just say history in terms of the colors, right? So um, back before Podcana took a bit of a hiatus, we were evaluating the colors, evaluating which color we thought was best. And I mm. want to see how that sort of stands up to your experience with the game and sort of the modern, I don't know, the modern thesis on uh the the different colors in in the game right now so first off our our sort of i don't know our main thought or at least the 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 most overwhelming was that amethyst seemed to be extremely strong so the thing about lorcana is that by turn seven you would have to go card negative to play a card down as a resource, right? So mm-hmm. you, because you start with you know X number of cards, you're putting a card down every turn. By the turn, by the time you get to the sort of the seventh resource, you would be going card negative by putting a card down, um, which is why mm-hmm. sometimes you can get to these sort of top deck fiestas, as we like to call. It. We get into yes. the game, yes. Mm-hmm. But amethyst definitely seems to kind of avoid that because amethyst has what seems to be disproportionately more card draw than a lot of the, the other card colors. draws. Yeah, insane. It's crazy. So mm-hmm. specifically things like you know magic mirror is an item it cannot be turned into a resource and that card is that card is powerful and it I think it's appropriately costed but there's some cards that in my opinion color are not appropriately co- uh, costed and those cards are friends from the other side and of course Ma- and maleficent the three drops yeah. so there, yeah. there is a famous magic gathering the card uh, magic the gathering card um called Ancestral Recall, which is basically one resource draw card. This is, or draw three cards. This is not that, but it gets pretty close. I mean, I remember someone was telling me when I was uh, this weekend at, at Nationals, they're like, oh, you could just play Divination in, in Amethyst. I was like, what do you mean? Because he's talking about friends from the other side. This is draw, yeah, this yeah, is draw yeah. two cards in Magic. I was like, mm-hmm. you play Maleficent on turn three, you go to your next turn, Maleficent can now sing the song of friends from the other side for free. For free. That is yeah. not Divination. That is Ancestral Recall. Like, that is <laughs> at sorcery speed. It's insane. What is your yeah sort of um what is your take on amethyst specifically and the card draw now that the card pool is completely flushed out do you feel that power level um of amethyst still permeate yeah amethyst was was kind of crazy just uh even in the in the starter deck right like Mm -hmm. friends on the other other side in general that actually happened to me i was playing a game today and it was literally like maleficent friends on the other side like wow you just have so many more cards than (laughs) me already right um yeah, it's clear it's like a super, super powerful um, yeah, color for sure. Uh, I also think like I'm, I'm a big fan of the um, 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've discussed this card. Like, Pascal is such a good early game, yeah, just like a base. It's like, yeah, yeah it's literally, literally just best one drop. It's actually insane. So my personal favorite uh, ink, ink <clears throat> or color just from the start is actually um, Sapphire. I really, really like Sapphire because maybe it's just because I like kind of like ramping in other card games, right? Like kind of like getting more cards into your ink well faster, having more resources than your pun. But then naturally, like you said, is like you quickly come into a situation where you're kind of doing this top deck fiesta of, oh, what's my next big draw? So I haven't actually tried it yet, but I really want to see if there's a, a cool way where you, where you can combine Sapphire and Amethyst uh, together. Maybe there's like a cool kind of type of thing where you can keep continuing to draw cards and keep putting cards within your inkwell at the same time. So I still think Sapphire is my favorite color off the start, but yeah, Amethyst, it, from the people I've been talking to as well, yeah, it seems like it's like the, the, the top color at the moment. Yeah, I mean, so one of the other things that was going for Amethyst was specifically uh, Mickey Mouse, the, mm. th the three four the, uh, the, the four cost is that the brooms yes so yeah i the mean brooms is insane. you just have to look at the tenets of what breaks card games right so card draw mm -hmm. breaks card games especially free card draw which is pretty yeah. close to what friends from the other side is um but also just cheating things out for free basically not paying for yep. them and uh, recursion so magic yeah. what magic broom is doing is it, it's a recursive threat right so you're basically able to play magic broom trigger the effect put something back into the deck put the worst card yeah, into yeah. the deck put the best card in the deck and then also trade for free bounce it back and then play it for what, it again almost nothing right so that, that for one yeah, yeah, yeah it's just inherently kind of crazy and then you couple that with some of the strongest early game threats in the game which are, i think the strongest which is pascal but then yeah. other solid early game threats whatever color you're pairing with i know we used to pair it with steel uh particularly because mm. steel has sort of the anti-mirror tech in terms of um sort of blowing up items it also has another draw engine in the form of beast smear and it's just well statted uh, it also has recursive threats where you can you can sort of you can recur the the i forget the sort of the damage spell right the one that goes to the graveyard fire the cannons i believe you can recur that oh yeah that's such a great yeah, and yeah. clear your opponent's mm. board it's just so crazy but it's not oh it wasn't overwhelming the best deck there was another deck mm -hmm. that was quite good for us um that i know a lot of the community also saw as a very very powerful deck which is ruby sapphire ramp so specifically ramp Ooh. like you were talking about but ruby and sapphire because you have removal in the form of um the dragon's path maleficent etc yep. but then you know sapphire itself also has also has removal it might not be the best removal in the game not the strongest removal but it does have unconditional removal just put that card you know take that card off the battlefield put it into your inkwell yeah. in the form of songs which is actually quite strong we found that deck to be to be pretty good what what like what strategies do you find yourself implementing when you're trying to win the most like what what decks what decks appeal to you and what do you find yourself losing to the most that's a really good question. Um, for strategies, for me, I, I think uh, just coming back to to, to Sapphire. Actually, by the way, I really want to try out that Sapphire that Sapphire uh, Ruby deck now. That sounds like <laughs> a lot of fun. Um, for Sapphire in particular, one of the cards that is actually probably my favorite is just Gramatala. I think Gramatala is such a good card because it's the it's the um, uh, two cost one one, which basically like you can kind of control when you want to like. It, if you're kind of controlling the board well, which I feel like Sapphire can kind of do, uh, you can basically just choose to when you get like one free extra resource, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's 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 such a simple card, but there is such a powerful effect at the same time. Um, the main deck I have kind of faced is is it's, it's funny. Yeah, I've, I've just faced Amethyst so much, and I think in the Amethyst matchup, I think having uh the kind of damage cards within steel, like you said, like fire the cannons and stuff, is just like so, so good. There's there's one card within uh, steel, which is really good in my opinion. It's the song. I need to try to find it here. It's it's like a it's like a five cost, but if, if you have a five cost character or more, you sing it for free. And it just deals two to all of your oppo uh, opposing, uh, all of your opponent's cards, which is kind of insane because it's just like, oh, again, within the certain deck I was playing, at least, the, the, just like the starter deck, it's like you ramp into a five cost. You just have that card. You just wipe their board. If they're playing Pascal's, if they're playing Swarmy decks, mm -hmm. it's just absolutely insane. Yeah, grabbing so, your sword is the, is the yeah, yeah. card. That's the one. So any kind of like those kind of controlling aspects where you can literally just clear all of the threats that they've placed down 
is like super super good have you seen anybody play with a card called uh, a whole new world which is also a five cost song it says each player discards their hand draws seven cards so this is an effect this card oh, this is like the mill deck isn't it uh so i don't think you you there might be a mill deck that goes with it but mm. this this is an effect that has existed in many other card games i believe it's called mm -hmm. wheel of fortune <laughs> um <laughs> it's called wheeling and it's from magic the gathering and it's also in pokemon and i think in the form of professor oak i might be getting this wrong my my card game history i've watched a lot of long-form video essays at night so that's where it's all but a lot of it's coming from but it's a very powerful effect because it says each player discards their hand draws seven cards and you're like oh well it mm -hmm. does the same thing to both sides except not really so usually you maneuver yourself to a scenario where you get more value out of this than your opponent and you effectively draw a lot more cards than might also be playing an aggressive deck right so you're deploying threats much faster there and your opponent your opponent's trying to you know they're holding a maleficent in hand they're holding an aladdin in hand Hand, they're sitting there with their, their dragon's fire they're trying to wait for a good threat to put it on and you're like boom a whole new world discard my entire hand get a discard bunch of threats back and they're like oh wow you drew seven cards i drew two technically right yeah. because they discarded yeah. um but yeah i mean obviously the full the full discard could could work in mill as well this is just like lorcana has like like many card games right that are coming out has taken inspiration from many other card games but it has all it has taken it has taken inspiration from some of the broken cards that have existed in other card games and when i look at the game you know from a high level those are the cards i'm looking at first it's like okay these have historically been problems in other card games how do we break this how do we break this in Lorcana? And, st and stuff like wheel of fortune is, is absolutely insane um I want to I want to ask you in regards to the starter decks. Have you been playing the starter decks out of the box at all yet? Did you have do you have did you have a chance to get your hands on the actual like the starter decks themselves and play the lists against each other? Uh, yeah, yeah. So for for the most part, my experience has just been playing with the starter decks because mm -hmm. it's like the easiest way to familiarize yourself with the game. But just like like I said, like I'm I've been trying to like test certain mechanics to see if like order and stuff like that so like even just using the base cards that they would give you to most yeah. new players it's important that if i understand those mechanics like perfectly then i can kind of incorporate other cards um one one noticeable one uh that i kind of ran into was it was actually gramatala and uh cruella mm -hmm. now cruella is a two cost emerald card uh, and she's actually the shiny that you get within the uh starter deck and she reads, when this character is challenged and banished, you may return chosen character to their player's hand. Now, because it's when it's challenged and banished, I was like, okay, if, if Gramatala challenges it and it kills it, say, for example, in my opinion, because it's that player's turn, uh, then Gramatala should be banished first and then Corella's effect can go off. So then Corella can, can do, you know what I mean, put it wherever it goes. And I talked to the developer and he's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is, right? It's just whoever's turn it is, that's essentially how it works. So it's not like, oh, Grandma Tala dies, but then Cruella can put her back in her hand, even though she's after dying. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so yeah. it's like a priority sort of exists with the active player, yeah. right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's like a... That's definitely usually the standard, like the the default for for how some of these card games works. It, you know, obviously mm. the interactions can make that can get super funky at points yeah. where you need like. Uh, I remember in Flesh and Blood, there was a point when items on the board they would exist before actually entering the board. They would exist in some sort of weird other state not in hand and not on the board and technically you could activate them before they hit the board and cash them in that was quickly wow. changed um but yeah rulings can get can get crazy so looking at the three starter decks right so we yep. have um we have amber amethyst we have sapphire yep. steel and we have yep. um green ruby emerald ruby yeah. emerald yeah see that's what, i was yeah. like green red i'm <laughs> like forget about it <laughs> <laughs> um did you find that one was more powerful than the other uh, I found the Ruby Emerald to be the the worst out of my testing mm -hmm. so far. Um, I found that Amethyst um, Amber to be quite strong. And I, I think that might be the stronger one. But again, the most experience I've had playing is actually just uh, Sapphire Steel, which I found super, super effective, mainly because it just has more kind of uh, cards, damaging cards, right? That can just kind of eliminate threats. I found that to be really, really good. But man amethyst can get crazy pretty fast honestly uh when that mickey comes down and then you start getting brooms and brooms and brooms like it can be hard to kind of uh to kind of get past that so th those are probably the, the 
the best decks for me. I don't know which one is better than the other. I'll probably have to play them a little bit more. Um, but I definitely favored Sapphire and, uh, and yeah. Steel for sure. Uh, probably unpopular opinion, but I think that Emerald... Well, it might actually be popular at this point, but I think okay. Emerald is probably the... the the least powerful color um mm -hmm. or archetype it's just because the way the cards are designed they're very much designed on interaction and mm. that's fine but sometimes you can your opponents can have decks that uh, don't allow you to do some of the things that your cards want to do and they're just doing yeah. sort of fundamentally powerful strategies and you're trying to respond to it um, and some of your cards might not work etc i mean the reason why Emerald is interesting to me is because Emerald, Emerald looks to have like combo potential in it, right? Of course, we saw uh, Lady Tremaine, which can loop back mm. to Dragonfire. That's like sort of this like loop you can do with uh, with Ruby. Um, and Corolla was an interesting card uh, in the beginning. But I remember when I looked at the starter decks, uh, uh, Kala, I was like, huh. It actually doesn't matter what the contents of this deck are because the two two of them some of the most powerful cards in the game are printed literally on the front of the Amethyst Amber yeah. deck, right? Like Moana yeah. is tough to deal with. Like it is oh, annoying. It's so good. And then I think that Mickey is one of the best cards in the game. Like the recursive threats of the broom, it's, it actually feels a little bit more powerful than like and a little bit overpowered to an extent because like uh people just really can't compete with it it seems in terms of the just how much value you get out of that card which is actually that's really the key to i think getting good at a card game fast or getting good ahead of sort of other testing groups other people is trying to look at the cards where you get more quantitative value than another player maybe inherently based off the text or based off gameplay which is kind of what mickey does and then you just jam together a deck that does that and you'll find yourself winning and winning i want to ask you kawa how do you feel now playing the game quite a bit about the mulligan system and what sort of strategies do you implement when it comes to mulliganing it's really interesting in a game like Lorcana because it's basically like you want to have cards in your hand that, that you will not see for the rest of the game, right? Because like you're throwing, you're throwing them into your inkwell and stuff like that. So it's like the balance of okay, do I want some uh, some expensive cards that I feel like I won't be using in this matchup? I want the really powerful kind of early game cards, or sometimes if it's like a kind of combo deck, oh, this is such an important piece, I'm just going to keep this in my hand and kind of hope for for kind of good draw. So for the most part it's it's really interesting right like i want to have a good curve of course mm -hmm. but then it's also finding and then finding the balance as well of there's been a lot of situations where uh i get to about like on average probably about four ink and then especially just i, I don't know if it's because of how the starter decks were built i end up having a lot of cards that can't be inkable in my hand and that's not a case of me keeping those cards it might be even just me drawing into them or whatever so I think if there's an advice I could offer to uh, like brand new players is like think about how important a card is, especially because it can be inkable and not just the cost, right? Like the cost is obviously so key, but if a card is inkable or not, that can drastically change how your game goes and how your even how your curve even goes, right? It's like okay, I value this card to play it, but then if I have a card that literally can't be inked and can't be thrown away, then I need to have another card that can support that, you know what I mean? So it's really interesting. It's something you, you kind of have to pick up on fast because if you if you don't understand that system at the start, you're going to be having some tough games because your, your, your hand is going to get quite clunky quite fast. Yeah, so I think in constructed deck building, so you're working with the entire card pool, there is a close to perfect or ideal ratio of inkable cards and non-inkable cards. This might mm -hmm. not be exactly what happens when you come to the starter deck. So what we found in our testing was that non-inkable cards are very, very expensive. Much more expensive mm -hmm. than you've seen because the opportunity cost potentially having a card like that in hand, maybe it's your second magic mirror, right? Where it's like deploying it onto the board doesn't really do anything. It's like effectively a dead card. A dead card that can't be turned mm -hmm. to a resource. Extremely dangerous. It's like only the most, most powerful cards. And Lorcana's designed in a way that they, they've made what looks to be the most powerful cards, not inkable. But I do think they made some mistakes. I think there are some cards that are on the power level to where they should they should not be inkable, but they are. And those are my favorite cards to put into my deck. Because I, honestly, you'll find out quite quickly playing Lokan. It's like those non-inkable cards, they will lose you games a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're yep. playing some yep. unoptimized deck that has maybe too many of them. So in terms of mulliganing, 
Lorcana's mulligan system, from what we found, is one of the most broken. I mean, I say bro- so when I say broken, I'm not saying broken in terms of game design. I'm saying most powerful. Like that. That's mm. how I'm using it. One of the most powerful mulligan systems we've ever seen. Um, because what it does is like you can you're you're fixing the variance to an extent. Where like you're looking at your your initial hand. You're choosing as many cards you want. And you put them on the then you put them on the bottom of the deck, and then you draw. So you literally can't draw those cards. In most games, you'd be shuffling, and mm-hmm. you know you might go down a card and Lorcana can't. So in Lorcana, you're just heavily incentivized to mulligan correctly. I think that mulliganing yep. is like a core skill in Lorcana that a lot of people will make mistakes with. But early threats, because you need to be able to answer your opponent's sort of early board, um, as well as you know, we would actually be mulliganing mostly for our early threats. But let's say you're playing an Amethyst deck, maybe an Amethyst Amber deck. You know, you see the Mickey Mouse in your hand. It's like, do you keep the Mickey? Because you're not playing it for a yeah. while, but Mickey's just, it's the most broken card in your deck. And you know it's key mm-hmm. to your core game plan. We found that, yes, we'd probably keep one of those, but ultimately we were mulliganing for early threats. Because if your opponent deploys to the board early and you're not able to, maybe you kept like a three cost or a four cost. Mm. I mean, it's just a death sentence in, in classic construct, not classic construct, sorry, in constructed, right? In in starter deck versus starter deck or just, you know, constructed deck versus constructor deck. You have to be onto the board, onto the board early. Um, so we found the mulligan system to be to be pretty crazy, right? Pretty, pretty crazy. Have you found yourself... I don't know. Do you feel like right now from the people, I don't know if you've only been playing sort of kitchen table against your girlfriend, but do you find that people maybe don't understand or comprehend the mulligan system a hundred percent yet? And maybe are not mulliganing optimally. Uh, I think so. And I'm probably one of those people. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. You know what I mean? Like uh, it, it is kind of crazy though, because I, I had a game, I think it was yesterday that I was playing. And because of the way I mulliganed, my hand was just absolutely insane again i was playing a sapphire dex like it was like perfect ramp into perfect like it wasn't even just because of my because my draw was good i kind of laid it out that i had the perfect early game the perfect kind of like i didn't hold on to too many mid game cards i think i might have held on to uh the the three cost mickey in sapphire which you know just basically get, gets you like an extra ink mm-hmm. uh, and because of that decision it literally like against my girlfriend she she couldn't do anything it was crazy and and she had a pretty decent start as well i think she had you know a few pascals and stuff like that but yes i'm definitely one of those players that i need to improve my mulliganing if that makes sense but i'm quickly learning that yes it is an integral integral part of the game because like you said you can often just end up with dead cards i was playing a game today where i had to pass twice in a row because they had uninkable cards i was like man this this actually sucks and it's like, oh, I have one. If I had one inkable card, I could do something insane, but I don't, so I can't. You know what I mean? It's 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 kind of crazy, but yes, it's it's a it's a extremely important part of the game that I think a lot of players will pick up will pick up on. But at the moment, they're probably like, oh, it's fine, it's whatever. I'm kind of just enjoying the game. But as we get to that kind of more competitive scene, I think players are going to quickly realize that it's a lot more important than you think. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of, if, you know, sort of metagaming that goes into that. It's like, do I know what deck my opponent's on? Do I know what their strategy yeah. is? Because a lot of players are going to play something like a Ruby deck and they're like, my Maleficent. Mm. I drop it, like two for one my opponent. It's like, that's the card. But if I know my opponent's on like an aggro steel amethyst deck, then it's like, I, I can't be keeping that card, most likely, because I, I'm not getting to that turn. And just Lurkana's mulligan system is, it's so incredibly powerful where it feels like your deck is, your deck is trying to follow a script, right? It's trying to follow like a mm-hmm. script um, where it curves out and it does one specific thing and you mulligan in order to try to sort of facilitate that, right? It's like you need, Lurkana feels like a game that's similar to Hearthstone in the sense where you really want to curve out and then you, you ultimately want to deploy like your critical threat on the specific turn. So you want to deploy your mm-hmm. Mickey on the turn it can come down with, with a broom and start getting as much value as you can because that is what your deck does. And it feels like the decks that are able to consistently sort of implement their game plan and play their most powerful cards, and this is going to sound obvious, versus the decks that maybe stumble to do it, is just sort of how you win the game. But the reason why I point out such an obvious concept is because the mulligan system is ridiculous. You can look at an insane amount of cards, you can completely fix the variance so that you can look at seven entire new cards with knowing that the original seven that you didn't look at, so you have like a 14-card sort of room to work with at yeah. you know, maximum that's that's just crazy that's so much digging you get to do in the initial in the initial part of the game where it's like you can really fix the variance to get your early one drops or at least at least put the odds in your favor that you can do so um it, it's 
It's actually I, I, the mulligan system is is particularly interesting to me. They, it really stands out from other card games in terms of how strong it is. And I think that if you're playing Lorcana in the early days, you're playing right now. That's sort of the biggest uh, biggest edge you can get onto other players knowing how to mulligan correctly. I agree, hundred uh, percent. I have a question for you, Brennan. Mm. Uh, what is your favorite card? Oh. Not 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 the card that you think is the best, just your favorite card. Uh, so my favorite card is well, it's interesting because there were some cards that were printed since I most recently played that I haven't had a chance to play with. So mm -hmm. um, there are I don't know. I'll give you a little bit. You probably don't know this about me, Colin, but in other card games, uh, I tend to be a combo player and a mm -hmm. sort of solitaire, one-sided, zero-sum fun kind of player. So like I get to have all the fun, you don't. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, not a mid-range player. So there may be some cards that facilitate strategies like that that I haven't seen quite yet or have, don't have experience with. Maybe the decks haven't been created yet, etc. Like a whole new world, like that card gets me really excited. Um, but let's say just fundamentally what was my favorite card what kind of is it's definitely mickey mouse like mickey mouse is just too it's just really fun to play with because it's while it's not a combo card it's a value card like if you mm -hmm. just look at the amount of if you could quantitatively break it down and i know it can be a little hard sometimes because it's like oh this is a four cost three three that deals one damage it's like what's like the net value because you subtract the cost then you add the value of the stats you maybe add the value of the lore and then you find like some sort of value to assign to the damage and you come out with this like core value of a card um, it's actually critical to evaluating cards and you have to develop your own formula with how to do it. And if you're smart enough, you can find the formula that the des the design team used in order to develop the cards. Because a lot of card game designers, they use a core formula in which to balance cards. Uh, so they're like, okay, the overall value of a card is five, right? So subtracting the cost, adding the stats, adding the lore, et cetera. And they can be adding different multipliers to it as well. But they want to get everything as close to like a prior or like a sort of absolute value of five as possible because that's how you like balance the cards and things are crazy over another. But Mickey Mouse, because of the recursive threats, the value just far exceeds most other cards on the thing because you're just recurring these brooms. Obviously it needs the other the other card to function, but you're recurring these brooms. So they're the brooms aren't like these little these little dinky uh these little dinky brooms. Like no, you're recurring <laughs> them, you're clearing things off the yeah. board. Um you have this like constant threat. So you, it's just like this additive value, right? So instead of being like, oh I'm getting a one point of value out of this broom it's like no over the course of the game i got six out of this this like little sort of early drop it's absolutely crazy it's been my favorite to play with there was also you know the lady tremaine dragonfire deck was kind of cool it wasn't super consistent but it was cool to have a like a close to infinite loop in your graveyard of getting spot removal threat um which i enjoyed playing with but ultimately mickey mouse if it was a single card and then in terms of like you know combos of cards Mm. And it's funny to call this a combo, and it's actually kind of a meme, but my favorite combo is Maleficent Friends on the Other Side, which is obviously oh. not really a combo, but just drawing cards. Like, we have a joke about this in Flesh and Blood where there are some decks that uh, they basically just due to the way that Flesh and Blood is designed and the resource system, they sort of block you out the whole time and fatigue you out of cards and win that way. And it's like kind of a really degenerate strategy, at least as a primary game plan. And we joke about it because you know the the definition of combo is like very loose it's like is combo mm -hmm. two cards that you always play and just automatically win the game is it non-deterministic combo which is like a series of decision trees that your deck can take but ultimately will lead to a game-winning strategy or you know we meme about it we're like oh we have uh old him fatigue combo which is like i block you out combo you die which is kind of what maleficent friends on the other side it's like oh i played the two best cards in the game combo fun you know it's yeah like, it, exactly it's just so good like i find a hard time like for me to sort of think of a deck to play in lorcana that doesn't have that draw engine so i do think that ruby sapphire is super strong i think ramping into some of those threats they're extremely hard to deal with you also have unconditional removal so there's like a lot of this is again from other games like there's some things that are like conditional removal you have to meet x criteria it can't be x or y cost you know it can't be cost too high mm. but there's also like you know dragonfire is just like remove it and that that's very yeah. powerful so ruby and Ruby uh, Sapphire has a lot of that because they also have the song that turns it into a resource, etc. Yep. That deck can absolutely beat 
Amethyst. Like Amethyst, despite its draw engine, does not always outvalue that deck. It's just like if I personally, as a player, am playing a deck, I would love to play the card draw version because you just have way more decisions over the course of the game. It's like, yes, you will you will lose to Maleficence on curve sometimes, you'll lose to these ramp decks sometimes, but ultimately the agency is more on your side as the player, and those tend to be the decks I like to play. That's sick, man. Yeah, I, I, I really have to try out Mickey because my girlfriend pulled it off against me. I haven't actually successfully played it, but when she did it against me, I was like, I was ready to just be like, yeah, let's game because it was literally that powerful. It was, it was insane. Yeah, um, I mean, I find um, we found a lot. Like if you're playing against that deck, like you were, you were really just saving your unconditional removal for that card because it was yeah. so much more powerful than everything else. It was, it was absolutely crazy. Yeah, and if you don't have that unconditional removal, right? Like the way the opponents can play it is just literally like, well, I'm not really going to do anything with Mickey, so you can't even challenge it. Mm. So, like, e even being able to do that is like super, super powerful. I have a question, Colin. They, um, <clears throat> they sort of since we we last talked on this podcast, they they talked about a sealed format, so a limited format where you could open a few packs and sort of rip and play them together. Did you have mm. any experience doing that? Because I know you opened a few booster boxes. Did you have any experience with the with the limited play of Larkana? I have not any experience with that at the moment. If you get another box, seems... definitely try it. Definitely try it. I'm Man, I have to stop buying, but I have bought five boxes so far. And luckily at the booth in Gamescom, they were like, I would say like normal price, like mm -hmm. reasonably priced. And this is the one thing that like, it probably happens at, at, a lot at the start of card games, right? It's mm -hmm. like, you know, I know a lot of people there at the booth were like, oh, I'm going to buy this booster box and sell it for this, for this much, right? And I mean, they're purely just trying to make a profit out of it. But for me, it was a great opportunity because I was like, well, I don't want to get fucking ripped off. I want to actually have a lot of the cards. So uh, I bought a few there. I have bought one or two since, which obviously they have been, um, the price has been marked up. Uh, and I don't know if it's, just, it's crazy. The, the luck I had with the ones I got there was so much better than the ones I bought since. Like it's like the cheaper ones. I actually got uh, good luck with it. But uh, I'm super excited to kind of jump in and, and see what decks I can build with. Like, say say you buy one booster box, right? You're like, okay, just build a deck out of that. Like, I, I love that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's the same type of vibe I get with um, any draft stuff. Because we do a lot. We're, we're A lot of the community in Marvel Snap at the moment is like really hyped for, for draft stuff in the future, which I'm hoping is coming to the game soon. So it kind of reminds me of that. Like, you kind of got to work with what you just got, like what you've just kind of got in hand. Say, oh, this kind of combos with that. This combos with this. So... Uh, did they did they actually because I, I haven't heard too much about that did they just announce that that's something they're planning to so kind of do? um i'm going off memory right so if you mm. if you're listening and you know let us know in the youtube comments I, yes, wasn't able, I wasn't able to look it up right before but i believe that there is a sealed format so seal obviously different from draft sealed is like you each mm. get a set number of packs you open them you play them against each other um yep. and Lorcana, at least from a high level doesn't look like a game that is designed uh limited first so there are games that are so if you look at something like flesh and blood flesh and blood is like the core of its design is to be drafted is to be played and sealed um and but mm. it is also balanced for constructed on top of that but there's actually like most card games are not designed for sealed or limited or draft right mm -hmm. it's more of something that happens after and the community sort of makes it work they figure out the rules they figure out what works and like that's honestly that's actually how limited was developed like magic in the in the og days i don't know if anything preceded in terms of limited was not a game that was designed to be played in a limited fashion um it was a community uh sort of initiative and then it was you know facilitated into the actual design of the game but i saw with lorcana that they had some sort of you know you start with x number of packs and i promise i'll get the number on the next week's episode and i start with x number of packs playing against each other i was just in, i'm keen to hear for anybody who's played that format how because that 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 is the usually the marquee kitchen table format right because this idea that we both have constructed decks it's much less realistic than like I go buy a booster box. I sit down mm. with my partner or my friend, and you get six packs. I get six packs, and we play against each other. And then you know we go six packs again, etc. Obviously, the starter deck, which is also a great kitchen table. Uh, but yeah, eff effectively, I do think that they do have some sort of sealed format at this point. You know, obviously, when it comes to like, is it officially supported, etc. Um, I don't know, but they they made an announcement, I believe, which is that's cool. Yeah. yeah. What do you? How do you feel? Like, what is your favorite part of the gameplay of Lorcana so far? What stands out for you, and how do you how do you keep finding joy game after game after game? Uh, I think for me, it's uh, the whole kind of uh, exerting your card. I think that's been like super super interesting, at least in the like the most recent games I've played, because there's been situations where 
I've purposely like not exerted a card to kind of protect it in certain circumstances. And obviously like that could be bad sometimes because you know if they if they have that dragon's breath it's just, oh, it's just like dead or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's such an interesting uh mechanic to me because there's like three different things that you can do with it right it's either you uh, exert it and you attack you exert it you quest or you sing and those decisions are like really integral to exactly how you play the game so that's been something that's been really fresh to me just because it's like Mm. uh, a new type of mechanic that i i personally haven't had the chance to to mess around with i i'm not too sure if this is a mechanic that is present in other card games you can correct me if i'm wrong um, but that's been the, the the thing that's made it most exciting for me is because you play your card, but then what you do with that card, usually it's like, oh, I play a card, there's one thing that it does, there's one effect, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that's kind of it. And then you can choose to either like attack or whatever. But because, que- because of questing, because that's how you win the game, it's not just like, for example, for me, like I played a lot of Hearthstone, right? Hearthstone's purely based on like board control. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, if I have more cards on the board than you, I basically win. And that that can be said for Lorcana as well, but actually attacking those cards and sometimes, uh, I guess you could say, like, protecting your card by not exerting it, but, like, also not questing it, uh, makes a huge difference in in the last few games I've played, at least, whereas, like, I'm like, oh, okay, if, if I actually don't exert it, it's a benefit to me in the next turn, and those are those are decisions that I feel like a lot of players, again, in the beginning, won't really pick up on. They're like, oh, I have a card, I can just quest, right? I just want to get my lore, I want to get my mm-hmm. lore. But, as you continue to play, you'll kind of see there's certain situations where you might not want to do that. So that's been something that's been the most exciting for, for me. What, what about yourself? So we found that Lorcana was very much, and I'm going to use the, the most loaded word in card games because um, the definition is ephemeral to say the least. But okay. Lorcana is a very tempo-oriented game. Mm. Um, you know, we found, like you said, there, there's actually, honestly, most of the time you don't, you don't want to exert. Um, you're looking for board control when you can. And then you're sort of assembling a board state where your board state is better than your opponents, right? And outside of that, you're just trading. This idea where like, um, I think it's the, the main takeaway you have when you first play Lorcana and you first see the cards like, oh, I play this and then I quest and I get my lore and like maybe he trades yeah. with it and then I trade back. It's like, that doesn't really happen. So what happens often is like my opponent is deploying threats and they're questing if I can't answer the threats. If I can, they're not questing. They're deploying a better threat or they're deploying removal, taking away my best threat. And then their best threat is sort of dominating the board and controlling the tempo of the game. And you're sort of dictating who can and cannot quest. And then it's sort of this like incremental questing and back and forth there um, until you get to the point where you can what we like to call alpha quest or sort of semi alpha quest, which is like, uh, okay, I've I'm at 13 lore, I can quest for seven or I can quest for eight. And I'm just gonna, you know, I've just built my board, build my board and Lorcan is a game of somewhat minimal interaction, like there are cards they can remove, but not where you're like, yeah, I mean, they have printed some where it's like deal two to everything, but less so than you can actually get away with doing that most of the time. And it actually is a pretty good strategy. It's like, okay, I'm building up to eight and then I'm just going to quest all at the same time. My opponent, I give you the impetus. You must answer this. You must figure out a way to beat this board because I'm ahead on lore. So that's alpha questing. And obviously there's a tempo back and forth throughout the early mid game to get to the point where you add that much lore, but the board stalls and then you, then you develop the board and try to quest all at once. And there's also the, se- the semi alpha questing, which is like, <clears throat> okay, I've developed the board. Maybe we've been just building board all game, trading back and forth in terms of removal spells and like, you know, interaction, but I can quest for, let's say 15. Okay. I quest for, or let's say 10. I can, okay. I can quest for 10, but my, I won't win. Say I'm at five lore. But I can, mm-hmm. let's say I can quest for 10. My opponent can only kill three of my things. And then the next turn, unless they have two removal spells, I can quest for five. So you're effectively yeah. doing the same thing you were do- doing before, which is like you're questing all at once, but you're doing it over the course of two turns with like the reasonable variance that your opponent can't clear your board enough to where you're just going to win the game, right? So that, that's what we found to be sort of like this. We found to be very tempo oriented in the early game, getting ahead um, and then going sort of the board will lock to a certain state. And then we get to this point where it's like, both players are trying to build up to a state where they can threaten that sort of, you know, I quest to win the game. Um, yeah, I want to yeah. ask you a question in regards to a core, another core concept of Lorcana that I don't think a lot of people get wrong, but I think it's really pop. What do you think in terms of the power of going first versus second? That is interesting. Uh, I'm going to think back to the, the, the few games I've had like earlier today and even yesterday, because there was a lot of games where, you know, uh, my opponent went first, they play 
you know, Sergeant Tibbs or a stitch, basically like a, a one ink two two, mm-hmm. and then I answer with a one one ink two two. Or there's a situation when obviously I was playing a lot of steel, where you just do fire the cannons and kind mm-hmm. of just reset the board. Um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Obviously, going second, right? You have that card advantage, and card advantage can be seen as something that's probably quite important in Orcana because you know you're constantly like inking cards, and and you can kind of be seen to then have. Ba- basically be ahead of them depending on i guess yeah you have you have one more card than them essentially so like you can balance up to them or like kind of catch up to them uh it's something that i haven't thought about too much but again like i said i'm really kind of recognizing the strength of it because if they do go first and you don't have a good answer then it's very difficult mm-hmm. especially with the kind of um aggro swarmy decks where they kind of start putting down threats and then like you said like oh i've just kept this even even i've just kept a two and a three right it's like well that's not really going to be enough to like deal with how fast they they may be able to put stuff out and um, for the most of my games i think i actually just i don't know how but i have gone second for the most part and i haven't found it to be um too uh too much of a disadvantage because having that extra card has definitely helped but yeah, it's 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 definitely an interesting one. What, what what's been your take again? Because obviously you haven't played the game in a while, right? Well, yeah, we also play construct, basically constructed decks. So we played like yeah. we. Uh, I don't know. I think the starter decks look pretty similar to the decks we they, were playing, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they were a bit yeah. they were a bit optimized at that point. Um, we found it overwhelmingly powerful to go first, like oppressively powerful okay. actually. Like because so the thing about Lorcana is that like we said, tempo oriented game, but this is usually this is prevalent in other card games it's like if you can deploy certain threats first it's very punishing to the opponent like i um i'm able to deploy my mickey first i'm able to deploy my mm. maleficent maleficent's a little bit different because they two for one your own maleficent after um but yeah. just getting to the board first with specific things gives you sort of an inherent tempo we found that to be more powerful than the extra card also like you said and this is actually the most important part i develop an early threat my opponent doesn't answer they affect like we find that they just often like lose the game <laughs> yeah that's why yeah. you have the mulligan so aggressively but deploying Mm -hmm. deploying like especially like an aggro deck first getting onto the board early because the thing about you say like you played a lot of hearthstone hearthstone is a lot about Mm. board control i find lorcana is also a lot about board control it's just board control in a different way because in hearthstone you can you can actively trade right you don't have to meet conditions in order to trade yeah Lorcana you do and the conditions are sort of somewhat dictated by your opponent your opponent has the 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 questions like do i quest do i not if i quest he kills my Mm -hmm. shit if i don't i'm good Yeah, yeah so but yeah we find deploying threats first really powerful and also deploying um you know deploying early threats your opponent not having an answer not having multiple answers often what they need uh to be super powerful because there's cards that are that are played right that are really really good things like the maleficent that can't be inked the one one that quest for two that card i think that card is actually pretty bad when your opponent has an answer it's really underwhelming it's like oh i get i i I pay one resource i get two lore which is maybe the floor of what you need but you play maleficent um and sorry i can't read i forget the the sort of subtext on it because the name because i know it's a bunch of maleficence but the amethyst one you play maleficent mm-hmm. your opponent doesn't have a response you know they don't play something to the board dude you go up four lore it's insane it's, it's insane crazy. getting four lore out of one resource it's disgusting which is why this card can't be turned into a resource but you can take that with bad cards as well. Like you can do that with like, I don't know, like let's even put like two Olafs down before your opponent does. It's like you can get so such an advantage on your opponent by deploying and then not having an answer and getting early lore. Cause like we said, if you get enough early lore, like you get up to these like higher sort of lore thresholds of like 10 to 10 plus, you can get to a point where it's like, I'm just not going to interact with you. I'm just going to deploy to the board and just try to yeah. just try to win the game quest before you do. Um, so yeah, we find going for us to be super, super powerful. That can change. Like that probably could change with the implement of some cards that maybe I'm not aware of or cards will be printed in the future that make it sort of good to have the extra card or good to be going second, like responsive threats. Um, like I think that the when it comes to <laughs> Maleficent uh, spe- specifically, you know, like the person who Maleficent's first, they maybe two for they two for one, they kill some like a like a five drop. But then the mm. opponent, if they were also on Ruby, would two for one your 
your Maleficent, which is higher value, mm-hmm. right? It's all about it's all about values, right? Are you extracting more resources and more value out of this card than your opponent is? And obviously, like there's gameplay that sort of makes that murky, but card games always come down to that core question of like who is getting more value out of their cards. That person overwhelmingly usually wins the game. Um, and I think that card games have they have this layer on top that people get distracted by or kind of mask that what what's actually going on, which is an exchange of value. They have this like they have this gameplay on top. But ultimately, players playing the game at optimally and perfectly, it always comes down to who's extracting more value. And yeah, no, like, I, I, I agree. It's, it's definitely, yeah, that Maleficent. I haven't played against it yet, but I can, that, that's kind of crazy. It's like, I want to touch on the point that you said about um, how often in this game you can kind of hold off to kind of quest a large amount at once mm-hmm. and then it gets to a, it gets to a stage in the game where it's like if my opponent can't remove these certain cards and like you so so it's my turn i play a card i have like i don't know two cards on the board that each have like um one lore each and i'm on like i don't know like 16 or 17 it's like they they, they have to kill it but then as soon as that as, as soon as it comes back to my turn and my card comes into play i could just win the game it's it's so dependent on their ability to remove the mm-hmm. existing cards on board because it's like oh well i just played this card it's like it's ink is drawing it comes into play i quest it's like oh no a quest for three or a quest for two i win it's like that that aspect of the game is so crazy to me because it's like well even like even if i remove these cards like you're on like 17 18 lore as soon as that card comes into play it's kind of it's it's like game over right i have a funny and that's happened to me if you said yeah go, go ahead so go the ahead. thing is is like that's actually the weakest part of lorcana design but really okay yeah yes because many players will encounter scenarios where they're like well shit i have no cards to interact my opponent can just play to the board and they can literally play anything and they'll win the game my pushback though and why it is not weak so the reason why it's weak design is because it, it leads to these scenarios where players feel like they couldn't do anything they couldn't win but the reason why it's not inherently weak design is because it's actually just an illusion the game was lost mm. long before that that that's why yeah. the, you're in that scenario mm. is like that's why we talk about is like lurkana's for us when we were playing the game seemed to be the same where it was like very 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 tempo oriented right like you need to come into the board you need to be winning board you need to be deploying that first and you, you want to be higher on lore because then you can threaten the alpha the alpha quest right when you mm-hmm. quest everything win quest. the game so the game is actually more played in the prior turns than it is at the end because that is a threat right there's a threat where opponent can literally do something on their turn where they can win the game and you cannot interact that's just core to yep. lorcana's design but the mm-hmm. actual game plan comes before it's where you're controlling board controlling your, your opponent's ability to do that or at least lowering the threshold in which they can do that right because like you talked about uh maybe three lords alpha quest that that's way different than your opponent has gotten up to 10 you're maybe at zero because you've been like trying to interact you've been trying to mm-hmm. you know uh, kill stuff on board like at least keep some sort of semblance of parity on board but now they're they're going to alpha quest for 10. It's like yeah it's it, we find lorcana to be a very tempo oriented game which is why the mulligan going back to that concept is one of the most important parts of the game is because you will literally i think that you will lose so many games of lorcana by not being able to contest early boards uh, it really doesn't even matter like how powerful your top end is and i think that powerful top end um is kind of a bait even though debatably one of the best decks in the game is a ramp deck uh it's just the game seems to be won and lost off of that early to mid game tempo and then there's more even of like an illusion of a game going on at the end where you know you're like oh i couldn't really do anything my opponent just questioned on me it's like no you lost like two three four five turns ago yeah 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 exactly what's one of your favorite keywords i'm going to actually talk briefly about mine uh it's actually my girlfriend's as well we love evasive cards i think evasive is so so powerful and maybe it's just because you know let's get the get that pascal out and it's like throughout the game if you can control the board, like you said, you have mm-hmm. like you have your your early game threats. It's just consistent lore gain. It's just consistent lore gain because they can't target it. And may- maybe maybe Pascal is the best card with that ability. Maybe it's just because it's so cheap and having that effect on such a cheap card is so beneficial rather than doing that later on in the game. But uh, I know it's not like a unique keyword. Like it's basically like, like stealth in Hearthstone mm-hmm. or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, but it's one of the keywords that has been really, really fun for for me to mess around with. And I think it's like, um, it can be super impactful to the game. Is there any kind of keyword that stands out to you that's like the, that you've just enjoyed in general? Mm, it's interesting. 
I think one of the coolest keywords in terms of design is probably reckless, but I don't, mm. I don't enjoy playing with it. My favorite keyword is not a keyword. It's draw a card. <laughs> like I just look for all cards <laughs> and say draw a card on them. Um, cause like from the, my, the biggest frustration I have when playing Arcana is the sort of post turn six, turn seven plus uh, mm-hmm. top deck fiesta. Like yeah, I don't like yeah, that yeah. and I want to avoid that as much as possible. I also think the decks that, you know, we talk about tempo being so important. That's why the draw cards decks can actually lose the game. It's like if tempo was less important, I feel like the draw decks would just win all the time because yeah, yeah. card advantage is so powerful. Lorcan, it's actually insane. Um, but you need to be able to commit to the board early and actually contest the board early. So you can't just be playing understated cards and draw cards. That's why like Magic Mirror can be super bad and super unimpactful is because, you know, committing an entire card, which can't be inked down to the board, now paying, you know, X number of resources. You have to pay two to deploy it, now more to draw with it. It's like a lot of games, especially if you're playing its aggro, it's like that card is literally useless. It's like you are not mm. activating that card. But as soon as you activate it once, it's like you might just be winning the game because you're you're ahead. Um, but yeah, I think Reckless is really cool in terms of dying. Bodyguard is interesting, right? So like Taunt in a game like this, uh, this is Taunt from Hosta. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting because it's like, oh, now can I play like the Maleficent one drop and have it not be like total ass if my opponent plays an mm. imposing one drop, right? Because I can put yeah. something down with Taunt um, and potentially like be playing these these other high risk cards that can generate a lot of lore in my opponent Asta. The thing about like things like Taunt um, in questing is that, and there's also why it's so powerful to go first, so if I go first in a game of Lacana, let's say I play Maleficent, uh, the Amethyst one, the quest for two lore, I quest mm-hmm. with Amethyst, uh, I, I quest with Maleficent, and I get two lore. On your turn, you kill Maleficent. So you've killed my threat, right? You've killed my mm-hmm. threat that's been your exchange. Maybe you took one damage. That, or you will. That's literally what would happen. Mm-hmm. You'd take one damage. First of all, damage is pervasive, so it will exist for the rest of the game. So you've actually incurred that as a cost, but you've yep. also incurred the opportunity cost of not questing with your own threat. Because when you attack yep. inclusive with the board, you you do not quest that turn, and that is an opportunity cost, and it's a serious cost to pay. So as the active, as sort of the primary player, the player going first, the player deploying to the board first, I am less likely to incur the opportunity cost of not questing in order to clear a board, especially in the early game. That's why I find it to be so sort of like disproportionately powerful is because even if you have to clear my threats, even if you can, right, you're deploying bigger stuff onto the board, you have more cards than me. It's like, we find often, a lot of times in Lorcana that the lore totals, they're not like, I'm at seven lore, you're at four lore, you're at five lore. It's like, I'm at 10, you're at zero because you've been playing catch up on the board and I've just been questing and making you kill the stuff that I'm questing with. Um, So... Yeah, uh, back to the original question, which is like favorite uh, favorite keyword draw card. I know it's not a keyword, but it's it's it makes sense in a game like this. It makes it makes it makes total total sense. Yeah, for sure. this game I think is the game that is draw drawing cards has been more powerful than any other game I've ever played. Uh, which yeah. like maybe in like certain formats of Magic, you know, it's like it's more powerful like Vintage Legacy, but uh, like as a base set. I've never played a game where I want to draw cards more. Maybe it's just me maturing as a card gamer, where it's like as you play more card games, you just want more cards so you can you can make more decisions and like you just realize how powerful it is. But yeah, um, definitely definitely draw a card. All right, Kawa. As we sort of start to wrap this up, is there anything else that you want to mention from the weekend um, on the game? Any questions you want to ask from my previous testing, etc. Uh, there's nothing that comes to the top of my mind. I'm just really excited to kind of hop in and try and experience some tournaments, mess around with different decks. The the biggest reason why I haven't uh, actually kind of built my own decks besides kind of messing around with the starter decks is because I've just bought so many boxes. So I want to like organize the whole collection, mm-hmm. make sure I know what I have, and then kind of start incorporating them into it. Um, there's one card I want to touch on that I think is uh, really, really cool. And I again, I don't know how many cards have been printed since you kind of really took a, a, a good look at it mm-hmm. but it's, uh, it's the only card that i'm missing in my collection at the moment and it's bell bell is a four cost uh i'm gonna say two attack four health i think it's you know strength and willpower whatever um but basically during your turn you may put an additional card from your hand into your inkwell face down and just as a round player i think that's super beneficial and then she also reads while you have 10 or more cards in your inkwell this character gets plus four lore so you can quest with her for five at one stage, but it's very much like, okay, well, she still has to be on the board. You have to kind of protect her and, and keep her in a certain situation. And that's why I, I'm really curious. You're saying that the Sapphire Ruby deck is really good in terms of kind of a ramp type of thing. I don't know how well it would work, but I want to try and do like a Sapphire 
Amethyst deck to see if you can really combine the whole kind of card draw and ramp aspect. Because I think I think that would probably work well together. Because every time I've played Sapphire, it is exactly what you said, is a top deck fiesta. That's just basically what it turns into. Now you could just get the perfect hand where you get like a really big threat out, they have no answer, and you're kind of just controlling the game and continuing to quest and continuing to kind of clear their threats. But cards like Bell uh make it super interesting to me because it's like it's like a certain condition that has to be met. Like it's kind of like this huge payoff that may not be good, right? It could it could just be absolutely shit. Like you're you're never gonna get to that stage. But cards like that get me excited because I, I want to try and uh, get to the stage where I can pull off something that's oh well I just quest for five with Bell and that's like questing for five. That's a quarter of your way to winning, which is just absolutely insane. Um, yeah. Besides that, uh, it's been super fun to 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 talk about the game. I want to experience it more. I want I want to play more. Do you have any plans for for playing more in the future or doing any kind of organized play yourself? So organized play, um, like I said, in terms of the grassroots, that's that's sort of where it needs to, I think, uh, flourish, and that can happen as as long as sort of the base structure uh, is is implemented in terms of like a judge program, comprehensive, comprehensive rules, etc. Um, but yeah, I think for me, rather than so the thing is like I don't know how because you're over in Ireland, so I don't know how it is for you, but for us. Um, in terms of getting into armor, uh, not armories, but uh, local events. So, like, I don't know what they call them in Lorcana, but basically, like your Friday Magic ask where you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are very hard to get into. They're very, uh, it's uh, okay. high demand. Yeah, very high demand because the supply is super low, and a lot of a lot of stores here got allocated, and they don't really have product. I, everybody I talked to, by the way. Um, the big, big tournament organizers that I talked to at U.S. Nationals in Vegas, they all said we would love to host tournaments. We have no product. <laughs> that is literally all, yeah. all that was holding them back. Um, but I'm definitely going to be playing with Sasha, uh, Sasha Markovic, who's been on this pod. And yeah, he has a Twitter where he posts a lot of deck lists. I'm going to be trying to get him on for like next week's pod or something to talk about the decks. Uh, he's been playing the deck lists, et cetera, and sort of get a better picture of what Constructed looks like. Um, but yeah, that's what it is for me. It's like, a look, look, so this is the funny thing about all these physical card games. They, they're so fun they're, and they're so good to play in person. Like they're cathartic, mm. right? Like it feels good to play. There's a reason why people, um, don't just play digital card games. Like physical card games are in a lot of ways, like suboptimal to digital, right? Like if you meet in person, you have to have the cards. It's like the, uh, the collection system is like in terms from a competitive standpoint and like actual playing the game, getting the board piece standpoint, it's terrible, but mm. there's something very cathartic about holding the physical card sitting across from real people and playing games in person <clears throat> and i like doing that it's just it's, it's definitely hard to do so i plan to play more aligned with sasha and just build the best decks so that when the tournament comes out the first tournament comes out we could just you know destroy everybody <laughs> uh that's that's 100%. that is the funnest thing to do in card games by the way uh is to find a i mean it, i guess it depends on the type of person you are, but find an, a card game that's new or early and then get together with your friends and break the game and then bring busted decks to the initial tournaments. It's mm -hmm. it's so fun because as games mature, not only do they get more popular, the player base gets better, like collectively better, etc. It's just more and more unlikely to be able to do it. And if you are able to do it, it's much, much, much harder. You have to find something that's even more obscure, etc. But uh, in Flesh and Blood, me and Sasha definitely made, uh, I don't know, we have a bit of reputation for bringing unexpected like just kind of broken decks like in 2019 we brought like a uh basically a fatigue ninja deck so like a run you out of cards run you out of threats ninja deck which is like ninja was the premier aggro deck at that point um then we brought this combo deck to the first pro tour which is like this wizard combo deck that nobody was playing at the time and that's my favorite thing to do in card games by far is to try to just break it open so that's what i'll be doing uh with with mr markovic and i would like to i would like to get my hands on some starter decks at least but i just dude yeah, it's over here. It's tough. Like those Is things. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, mm. starter decks may be attainable for some crazy scalped price. Um, maybe different when they come out in big box retailers. But yeah, right now tough. I know a lot of people in the U.S. got allocated uh, a lot of the stores, so the the supply the supply is not great i just want to hit on bell so bell's an interesting card so the reason why bell mm. is interesting is like if you ramp bell out without taking card disadvantage to ramp bell out i think it's good like if you play bell on four i think the card is not very good uh maybe mm -hmm. for finding a way to draw cards but the thing is it's like we talk about going card negative by turn seven mm -hmm. so it's like yeah. how many cards you how many cards you actually putting down in addition uh with bell i think it's only i think it's two i think you put like one additional 
card in tier inkwell and if you put mm-hmm. two you have zero cards in hand <laughs> yeah, like only pretty, pretty much. much at that point so you like just get into top deck mode i think if you deploy like an early um left center and just like a big drop like on turn five because you're not doing it on turn four right? so like let's say you're doing turn five you're dropping a seven drop that might be good enough to win the game like that could be yeah it could be oppressive enough but well, then it's just Dragon's Breath, right? <laughs> exactly. So that that's that's yeah. that's why Bell costs four, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. that that's exactly why. It's because when you get to turn five, turn five is where all the not unconditional removal exists, right? Dragon's Breath, yeah. um, the Sapphire Song. I forget the name of it, but the Sapphire Song that just puts something into their inkwell off the board. So like, it, yeah. that's what's funny about Bell. Is Bell looks like a card. You're like, oh shit, I can like you know get this crazy thing out. But it's been intelligently designed to the point where it's of like, of course. You're like, oh, it costs four. It's like, oh, well, you're already almost card negative, and your opponent on the following turn has access to all of their unconditional removal. <laughs> but the the last ability is actually quite powerful. So, mm. how many games will you have ten cards in equal? Not very many, but not very many. But Lorcana is a game that sometimes will the boards will stall, um, mm-hmm. and they will stall while people fish for their their big threats, etc. And you could potentially get up to 10, 10 cards more. I think that ten is a lot. I think if it was eight, <laughs> I might yeah. play this card. But um, it just helps you win board states that are locked. Because like we talked about, it's like both players are threatening like an alpha quest. The board state is locked. Um, you now you can now put something into your inkwell and now quest this for five and maybe get yourself closer to the sort of the alpha quest. But yeah, <laughs> I love the little nugget of design here where it's like, oh man, I can ramp out this thing. It's like you actually ramp it out in turn five, which is the exact turn your opponent has all the Yeah. That's fine. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, man. Well, uh, so yeah, the last thing we want to touch on, I, I guess we can say is, uh, yes, I, I mean, we talked that I was at Gamescom. Uh, we're going to be doing a little giveaway um, since we're kind of rebooting the, the, the podcast. So I will show the camera now. We're going to be giving away uh, one of these goofies. It's a promo card from Gamescom. I got quite a few of these. I was quite lucky. But uh, yeah, if you guys are interested in, uh, you know, taking part in the giveaway, uh, we'll probably have details about it in the uh, in the video description. Yeah, well, we can actually, you know what, call we can figure it out right now. We can figure it out right okay. now. How, do you want to, we can do YouTube comments, uh, We can, or we could do reviews. Uh, so the one thing that I've done in the past for, for giveaways, um, but it does somewhat punish earlier fans i don't think we have too many reviews on this is that we do a 1x entry for mm-hmm. youtube comments and mm-hmm. then we do a 2x entry for a review the thing about i don't think we can do reviews though because i think it takes a little bit of time to process um mm. unless you have like an aggregator setup like rate this podcast which will email you as soon as you get it so before it goes up yeah it's like we'll have to maybe have to do youtube comments um but you also have to be subscribed you know of so course. If your comment gets picked, you have to be subscribed. Uh, like the video too, if you're if you're nice enough. But yeah, those goofies, they're pretty crazy. I know that they are they're very sought off. They're like early promos in this game. I know you and I were talking before. Yeah, they can yeah, get yeah. absolutely wild. But this is the goofy from Gamescom in Cologne. Yep. So yeah, we'll just do a YouTube comment on this video. Ideally, honestly, ask us a question. Don't oh I, please. The nice words, like, you know, we always appreciate those, but ask us a question. We can answer them in future pods. That's super helpful. And we would just love to facilitate more discussion. But we'll get the details out to you guys um, on that. Just follow the Twitter as well. Um, mm-hmm. at Podcana and more details sort of about sort of about the giveaway etc um, on there but yeah Kyle, I appreciate you coming out appreciate you joining me as the new co-host of Podcana um, just a big fan of yours in Marvel Snap so far and I know your sort of your future card game career is is just starting and things are just ramping up yeah it's been a pleasure my friend uh, really excited to continue talking about Lorcana and share my experience with the game as I continue to learn uh, more about it and kind of optimize decks and stuff like that. I'll definitely try and jam a few games with uh, with yourself and Sasha for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll give you guys, we'll give uh, the listeners a sort of uh, a sit rep on how that goes. See if see if mm-hmm. see if Kawa holds up to you know, dude, Sa- you'll love Sasha when playing against him. Sasha's um, one of the funniest players. He's very nice online, but once you play him in person, <laughs> he's a literal robot. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Even if I've known him for years, dude. I've traveled the world with him as well. And he sits if he sits across from me in a tournament, it's like I've never met him in his entire life. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready, bro. I'm excited. <laughs>
<laughs> awesome. Well, thank you all for listening. That's episode 14 of Podcana. We'll be back to weekly uploads. So we were bi-weekly before. Going to weekly uploads, going to get some guests on. Definitely get Sasha on here to talk about his deck list, um, et cetera. But we appreciate you all joining us back for the pod as Lorcana is released. Excited for the future. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you.